we have to go back to this understanding and just say, hey, if this is a life, it changes the conversation. And let's have a conversation yeah, about that. Yeah, and let's finish with this. These people read are pursuing comfort and not truth. Yeah. If you're a Christian who's still voting for Democrats today or whatever it is, you are just pursuing comfort rather than truth. To which C.S. Lewis would say, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. Yeah. If you look for comfort, you will find neither comfort nor truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin and in the end despair. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. I am very excited today about our guest, Seth Gruber. Not only is he a friend, but he is also for the first time in studio with us. He's been on the show before, but we've done a remote thing, and now he gets to actually be with us live and in person. But more importantly, I'm really excited to have Seth on the show today because he is one of the most prominent pro-life voices in our nation. He is the president and founder of White Rose Resistance, which is an organization that helps equip the pro-life community to understand the pro-life position and it equips them not only to engage others who might disagree with that position but also to educate people on what it actually means to stand for life and what life actually is so suffice to say since the overturning of roe v wade we have heard and been introduced to a panoply of irrational and incoherent arguments from the choice community and i think we need to step aside from the emotional nature of the conversation and have really thoughtful conversation. That's why I'm thankful to have Seth Gruber with us here today. So, Seth, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, I guess it's been over a, over a year. Something uh, like that, yeah. So, that, yeah, it's second time here in Chattanooga. First time was to preach at Calvary Chapel Chattanooga. Yep. Met Frank briefly when we launched the um, defiantly – uh, obedient dissident pastors network at my home <laughs> church of Godspeed Calvary Chapel. Yeah. And Rob invited all these warriors from around the country. And I think Frank at that point had already had Charlie out. And so uh, he called me up uh, like it, was, it must have been um, April of 2021. And um, he's like, dude, can you come like any week? to help fight Planned Parenthood getting into Chattanooga. And <laughs> I'm this. like, I'm like, uh, well, I'm kind of booked up, brother, but the first Sunday I have is Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. <laughs> and Pastor Frank goes, oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. And so it turns out uh, I preach probably one of the heaviest hitting abortion sermons I've ever done on Mother's Day from the pulpit. Oh, and it's also baby dedication Sunday. Yeah. I mean, it was heavy. And I've only given that sermon one other time at one other church. I call, it's called the Religion, Sacrament, and Liturgy of Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Most people can't handle that message. It's, it's very graphic and very heavy. Um, but that's just so much of who, you know, Pastor Frank and some of these warriors are who, who, yeah. understand, who, who understand that the culture war was really just always a proxy war. For the spiritual war. Mm. And I think the church is starting to wake up and recognize that because the church has been treating politics and the culture wars as right. like something out there. It's different. Yes. It's not in the lane 
of the Great Commission, and it's not part of the duty of the church. Yeah. And that could have never been further from the truth. And I think abortion is starting to reveal that. But, you know, we do need to give honor to all of the men and women who worked tirelessly 100%. for decades to put the right people in positions of power, to elect the right people, to recall the wrong people, to primary evil people, to finally get to the providential turning point where we can overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah. This is the Emancipation Proclamation moral equivalent of our generation. Now, it's not a perfect analogy. The Emancipation Proclamation frees all the slaves. Roe v. Wade sends it back to the states. And, and I'm actually going to tell you later, read why I believe that the abortion industry fully intends to kill more babies in America post-Roe than before. Oh, I can believe that. And uh, I know you can, but most people they, most people would look at me with their eyes glazed over, like, how is that possible with it getting overturned? Well, and we need to we'll, dig into we'll this. We'll dive into that, but but I, because they're, they're so angry. Yeah. They're, they're God, Witzelapokli, and Tesla Topoka, and Moloch, and Baal are, are screaming and rending their garments and demanding more blood. You see the, By the, fa- way, for those the fire of a thousand suns burning in Elizabeth Warren's eyes yeah. when she says, we need to shut down these pregnancy resource centers for torturing pregnant women. She actually said pregnant people, of course, because you're not allowed to assume gender. <laughs> she just said this, uh, yeah. and she's introducing legislation as we speak. Read Elizabeth Warren, uh, Focahontas, uh, you know, from some old Aztec Indian tribe, I guess. Um, saying we need to go after pregnancy resource centers now. Yeah. So this battle is really heating up, and the pro-life movement is really kind of just beginning because we now have the legislative authority to demand that abortion is banned in our states. And I'm grateful that Tennessee is sort of on the right track there, but we have our, our work cut out before us, but only because of the efforts of thousands and t- of pro-life advocates, some of whom are no longer with us, who yeah. worked tirelessly to see this realized. So... I survived Roe versus Wade, but Roe versus Wade did not survive me. Come on, man. Let's go. Yeah, I, and I'm excited about that, too. I almost want to take a step back, and, and for better or worse, I want to set the the preface for the conversation, because whenever I have conversations like this, and really just whenever, my mind is just geared to work this way, is I want to put myself in the position, as ridiculous as it is sometimes, as the opposition, and think about what they're going to say. Um, and, and I don't do that to give them any airtime. I do that because I feel like we have to be willing to address um, the things that people are saying, no matter how ridiculous it gets. But but I also agree with something that you just said, that this issue is revealing that the... Um, I almost hate to say this because it deserves a lot of explanation, but hopefully we'll get to it. It's revealing... I think, first of all, the unbiblical nature of most Christians' worldviews, but it's also revealing, I think, the not-so-distant relationship politics has with religion, and specifically Christianity, because you see so much, and we'll talk about this in a moment, of the, like, I think you can put a squad, like there is in politics, in evangelical Christianity, and we'll talk about it with this Emmanuel H.O. thing, uh, because I think there's a Christian squad who is a small representative of Christianity that doesn't really represent evangelical Christianity, but but they have a prominent place in the culture, and they're speaking for Christianity like the squad is speaking for the left. But suffice to say, the preface for the conversation today is just simply this, two things. The purpose is, one, is that I want to give confidence to Christians who may be pro-life, but they think either one of two things, either I don't have the ability to really speak up on these issues because I don't know how to address these things, or even 
God, we hear this so much, and shouldn't Christians just kind of just silently be loving people and just sit back and just kind of uh, not constantly be recognizing what's going on in the culture? And shouldn't we just um, shouldn't we just kind of just preach the gospel kind of thing? And then the other is to convince. So I want to bring confidence to the pro-life community, but also to convince those who are not in the pro-life community. Now, I know this is a hard sell because it rarely ever happens, but there are so many, especially progressive Christians out there, but this is happening choice-wide, using arguments that are so illogical, so irrational, that it's like, guys, I love you and I care about you. I don't just want to label you progressive Christian and then move on. Right. I want you to wake up. Like what you're saying yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's predicated upon a lie. Um, and I want to believe that somehow through even the conversation we're having today, we can somehow convince the, the person who doesn't think like we think with reason that we can convince them to come over to our side a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's this there's this idea. Are you familiar with the term cognitive dissonance? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I have about are. ten questions that I use to ask pro-choicers in any given conversation to create cognitive dissonance. Okay. So, um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you what those are in a minute. But for those who don't know, who are watching, cognitive dissonance is just simply the idea that you can hold two competing ideas in your head at the same time, and you can believe both of those things. So it's the smoker says, "Boy, this thing is going to kill me," while he's puffing away on his cigarette, and it's like, "Dude, if you actually believe this is going to kill you, you should stop smoking." Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that would be the logical, rational thing to do, but we don't operate like that. And there's two cures for cognitive dissonance. There's either change the behavior, you can stop smoking, or you can change the belief. You can stop believing that smoking will actually kill you. And then that kind of dissipates that tension. But the vast majority of people do the third thing, which is the most damaging thing, I think, especially when Christians do it. They trivialize the information. Well, I don't know when I'm going to die. Everybody's going to die, aren't they? It's like, yeah, um, but... You could stop smoking and you might live longer. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they do something like this. Um, I, I'm just going to – I, I'm really healthy and I work out and I eat fruits and vegetables. And it's like, yeah, but you're counteracting all of that with the, with the smoking. So they trivialize the information just to make it seem as though it's not relevant. And I think that's what we're hearing so much. Would you, would you agree? Well, I think that Roe v. Wade getting overturned kind of showed us where people stand. I mm-hmm. think the same way that COVID uh, responses and shutdowns. Uh, showed us who was on our team and who wasn't and who was going to be faithful and who wasn't. So I actually have to tip my hat to tyranny uh, because tyranny shows you who re- who people really are. Yeah. Um, and and That's so good, did yeah. Roe v. Wade getting overturned um, and the responses of woke Christians who pay lip service to the pro-life movement and say that they believe the unborn is an image bearer of God and a person with rights, but were doing more to mourn with those who can't kill their children than they ever did for the children that were killed. Yeah. And that shows me exactly who you are and where you've always been. Um, and so I guess I misunderstood the term cognitive dissonance. Um, I, I, I Similar understanding, but you're probably right. Um, I, I understood it as, as I try to create cognitive dissonance, meaning forcing people to struggle to reconcile uh-huh. two opposing ideas yeah. and come to the point where they go, ah! <laughs> like, and they and, recognize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess people, getting people to recognize it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for that because I think that the church is almost stirring as if from a long coma mm. and, and recognizing that they have completely abdicated I am, yeah. their spiritual duty to contend for the truth mm-hmm. and for righteousness, yes, in the public square. Yep. 
Yeah, I think we've had cultural prominence so long that we've almost fallen asleep or we're so used to losing that it's comfortable to us now. We're like, oh, well, we don't actually have to get out there and take yeah. a firm position on things if, uh, uh, you know, because losing's way easier. Yeah. It doesn't actually put us in the position of actually having to stand up for things. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about those who are maybe need to be a little bit convinced. So let's talk about Emmanuel H.O. because you just did a show on this. I just got done watching it not too long ago too. Emmanuel H.O. is a former NFL guy. He's an analyst on ESPN and um, says he's a Christian. Says he's a Christian. Um, I think his co-host is actually the real Christian. Uh, Martellus Wiley, I think is his name. Okay. Um, on, on ESPN. Dude is flat fire. Um, he's he, he straight up just calls things as they are. Uh, but anyway, so he has this YouTube channel, Awkward Conversations with, with a Black Man. Uncomfortable. That's right. Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And has done multiple shows that just um, leave me constantly fighting with. Yeah. And by the way, he's never had a rock rib conservative on. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, he so brings people are, like Carl Lentz on. So are you really uncomfortable, Emmanuel? Yeah. Like, and, and again, for your listeners, and you probably maybe mentioned this already, but um, I mean, these clips have, are taking off. So, I mean, you know, one of the reasons yeah. we're talking about it is because the digital square is the new public square. Yep. And Emmanuel has a very large following. He says he's a Christian. He brings on huge names like Matthew McConaughey and others onto his YouTube channel. Um, and so it's significant because it is sort of, you know, this kind of stuff does shape um, the conscience of a people. 100%. Um, and they're, they're talking about the issues that are happening now. It's getting huge uh, attraction. And they're rolling out these short little Instagram reels from his uncomfortable conversation episode on abortion where him and or some of his guests straight up lied, mm -hmm. straight up lied to Americans, to Christians and to viewers. So anyways, that's that's why this is significant. But and also because I think these type of people, including Judah Smith's wife, Chelsea, yeah. who was on the on on the uh, on conversations, on the yeah. uh, th these people um, say that they're pro-life uh, and so now the lines are drawn Roe v. Wade is overturned who are you really yeah and their response is so indicative of the broader rot mm -hmm. in evangelicalism so that's why it's we need to talk about it yeah 100 i'm glad you set that kind of predicate because that's important and by the way just to put some numbers with what you're talking about this specific episode with this pro supposedly pro-life pro-abortion panel got 257,000 views and his channel alone so it will get this is only 12 days ago 257,000 views uh and his channel alone has around 604,000 subscribers so and, and the re instagram reels and clips he's rolling from yeah. it are getting huge so we're, we're talking million yeah, yeah. Uh, over a million uh views interactions with the content that's here yeah. now um yeah. so i guess i just want to get your 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 takeaway from this initial because I also think beyond the cultural significance, I think it also represents a good subsection of the conversations that people are having. And right. I would say specifically outside of the church right. that the church needs to be mindful of and then we need to inter interact with. Right. So um, so what's your first what's your just general takeaway from the whole conversation? If you could just give kind of just like an overarching view of it. Yeah, two thoughts. One, my friend, Pastor John Amanchukwu, uh, who's a dear friend of mine, um, I brought him to my Love Life California conference at Jack Hibbs Church on January 29th. We had 1,100 people, 400 online. We had Nick Vujicic, Kirk Cameron, Jack Hibbs, myself, uh, Anthony Leventino, former abortionist, Melissa Oden, abortion survivor, Monica Klein, former Planned Parenthood sex educator, myself, and 
John Amanchuku, who's a 6'5", former college football player, black, charismatic, pro-life conservative preacher from Raleigh, North Carolina. Total brother. And uh, we become good friends. So I had him on to discuss this, and he made a comment on our on our conversation and episode read, he said that Emmanuel Acho um, was, is, is Margaret Sanger's favorite kind of black man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm quoting him. Had I, you know, if I say that, I'll probably get labeled you know, some virulent racist. Yeah. But what he meant was is that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, initially called the American Birth Control League, uh, launched the Negro Project, and her goal was to get black ministers and leaders on board with promoting it. And at the time, it wasn't abortion, right, Reed? It was it was birth control. But for Margaret Sanger, birth control was just an, uh, a tool to achieve eugenic ends. Mm-hmm. And Margaret Sanger, just let me quote her, she once said, uh, um, eugenics without birth control? seems to us a house built upon the sands. Mm-hmm. It is at the mercy of the rising streams of the unfit. Hmm. <laughs> like That's some bigoted language, bro. Yeah. And when she said unfit, you got to ask who she referring to. Is right. she referring to black people and specifically the mentally and physically disabled, those yeah. that she didn't want reproducing. Um, and so she launched something called the Negro Project with the goal of getting black ministers on, involved on board with it to push it because mm-hmm. she understood that if you can put a black face on it it's less likely to be suspected as being racist and she yeah. wrote a letter to dr clarence gamble that we have the original copy of and she said we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the negro population and the black minister is the one who can straighten that idea out yeah if it occurs to any more of his rebellious members well john amanchukwu is a rebellious member. Brandon mm-hmm. Tatum is a rebellious member. Candace Owens Candace is a rebellious yeah. member. Uh, Emmanuel Acho is not a rebellious member. He's the kind of black man that Margaret Sanger loved that she could convince to target his own people. Yeah. Emmanuel Acho is mourning over the fact that Roe v. Wade is getting overturned and in this long conversation wants to identify with the felt needs and pain of women. Preborn women read? No. Just their mothers who can no longer perhaps kill their children. Yeah. Uh, and so if Emmanuel Acho doesn't change his heart and his position soon and become a bold voice against the genocide of abortion, in a few decades, you're going to have to go to the Smithsonian to see a black person. Mm-hmm. And this is Margaret Sanger's dream yeah, of you... reducing the black population. Yeah to a manageable level with the goal of eventually exterminating the black population. Now, for people listening to this who say, I've never heard this before, like, Reed, why'd you bring this white nationalist kooky conspiracy theorist (laughs) on? Let me quote the goal of the Negro Project. You can find this from her initial documentation. The goal of the Negro Project was, and I quote, the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks those human weeds Mm -hmm. which threaten the blossoming of the finest flowers of american civilization sounds like white flowers human weeds exactly who are human weeds who well again who are the unfit yeah well she believed it to be black people uh let me let me prove it to you again uh one of margaret sanger's um friends and allies was a man named eugen fisher and she invited Eugene Fisher to speak at one of her population conferences in New York City. 
When she invited him to speak at this population conference, Eugene Fisher had already run a concentration camp in German-controlled Southwest Africa where he had starved, experimented on, and murdered Native Africans. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, these were Sanger's friends. She was friends with Madison Grant, one of the leaders of the population um, council. And an American eugenicist who wrote a book called The Passing of the Great Race, which Hitler was reading in jail after his failed coup attempt in Munich and became instrumental in helping Hitler craft <laughs> eugenic policies in Nazi, uh, for Nazi Germany. And Madison Grant once put a black man in a cage with a monkey in the New York City Bronx Zoo to, quote, illustrate evolution. Yeah. So, I mean, the, like Sanger didn't like black people. Okay, <laughs> that's my point. Yeah, uh, and uh, and so Emmanuel Acho is helping Sanger fulfill her dream. Yeah, and, and so when you look at it with that perspective, it's like wow. And so, and then here was my second thought: these Christians are who C.S. Lewis meant uh, when he said he he talked about actually himself and friends um, who were before they were truly awakened to the gospel and to their duty. He was discussing how they were going along to get along, and they were going along to get accolades from the secular culture, and yeah. they, they wanted a little bit of crumbs from the table of secular progressivism. And so he's actually describing himself and his friends, um, but but it, it applies to this conversation. And he said, they, these people, these Christians, they simply found themselves in contact with a certain current of ideas yeah. and plunged into it. Because it seemed modern and successful. You know, Reed, they just started automatically writing the kind of essays that got good marks yep. and saying the kind of things that won applause. Yep. They were afraid of a breach with the spirit of the age, afraid of ridicule. And having allowed themselves to drift, yep. unresisting, accepting every half-conscious solicitation from their desires, they reached the point where they no longer believed the truth. Yeah. And that's the danger of not standing for the truth whenever you have the opportunity. The longer you don't and the longer you capitulate and abdicate in order to try to remain relevant to the secular culture, you will one day reach a point where you no longer believe the truth mm-hmm. and you're not willing to stand for anything. And, and that's what this video represented. A yeah. bunch of Christians who have plunged into a current of ideas because it seemed modern and successful. Not the least of which is not Emmanuel Acho, who is himself a professing Christian, but then you got Chelsea Smith, who is Judas Smith's yeah. uh, wife. Just, Justin Bieber's pastors or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and again, when I referred to the squad of evangelical Christianity, I was speaking of, and I, and I really don't mean this to be pejorative, but this is kind of the way I view it. I mean, people like Rich Wilkerson, Chad Veach, uh, Carl Lentz, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Judah Smith. These four guys who represent pop culture Christianity today, but find it increasingly difficult to actually find a biblical stance on anything. Yeah, It's like, how often do we need to like... Well, they're just the lot of our age. Yeah. They're just lot. But, but, is, but that's the point, is that it's like this, it's this litmus test, this barometer of where Christianity is in this in this present age. Um, and so Chelsea um, Smith in this doesn't have much airtime, and thank God for that, because the little she had was pretty awful. Um, I oh, can she, only she, imagine. She, she's white, right? So she has, she has to shut up anyway. She had so. to get edited out, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure it was edited and all that stuff. And you can say, uh, well, you know how this works. I didn't get to say what I actually really wanted to say. But what she did say was eye-opening enough and clear yeah. enough. Just that, um, and you referenced it, just that, uh, if we're rejoicing right now at the overturning of Roe v. Wade, yep. then 
it's because uh, we don't understand that we need to weep with those who Yeah, well, and Chelsea's father, Wendell Smith, who passed a while back, he was this fiery, like, pro-life, rock group conservative preacher. And when this stupid, very comfortable conversation for Emmanuel Acho happened, Reed, someone sent me a clip, an old clip of of Chelsea's father just blasting abortion from Mm. the pulpit and telling people to wake up. I mean, that's her heritage, you know? But she she and Judah Smith and these people have become like Lot. They have a place of position and influence in the public square. Yeah. Remember when the angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot is standing at the city gate. So he's got a position of influence and authority in the secular culture. Yeah. Right? He, he was a Christian influencer of his day. <laughs> Just like these people are. Yeah. And when the angels come to destroy Sodom, Reed, he takes them to his house, right? And then it says people from all parts of the city, so from every part of culture, come to Lot's house. This is what's happening today. Yeah. Increasingly, the secular mob is coming to all parts of Christians and demanding that we not just approve of their agenda anymore, yeah. not just that we celebrate their agenda anymore, but that we participate. Yeah, that we become participants. That we yeah. participate. And, and, then, and then they say, what do the, what do the men say? Br- well, all men and women, bring those men out that we might have sex with them. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was like just New York today, San Francisco, <laughs> Los yeah. Angeles, right? Just and, less and, and Lot, who the Bible calls a righteous man. Mm-hmm. So that's gnarly, isn't that? Because per, perhaps, perhaps Judah and Chelsea Smith just get in to the kingdom by a hair's breadth with a little fiery singe on their butt hair. Yeah. You know, maybe they just squeeze in like Lot, who that's was a, a righteous man. But Lot believed the truth he was willing to speak the truth but he wasn't willing to die on the mat for the truth he wasn't willing to stand for the truth Mm -hmm. so he goes out to the men who want to have sex with the angels and he says brothers (laughs) it's like that how how typical how how indicative of that is our christian influencers today try to identify with the secular mob yeah. With the pagan mob. Hey, I'm a brother like you too, man. I recognize brothers. I'm a white voice. Yeah, he literally comes out and says, brothers, brothers. These aren't your brothers. They're tr- they want to bang your family. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm sorry yeah. for speaking so like graphically, but I, th- that that literally is what is happening in this passage. And he says, but then he then he lobs out truth. He's willing he's willing to speak the truth. Read and he says, do not do this wicked thing. Uh-huh. So he calls their actions wicked and then what does lot do read he compromises here are my daughters have sex with them the christian influencers with a platform and an authority and a relevance in the secular culture in america today read are also giving children up to the pagan mob in order to keep their position and influence. Mm-hmm. They will either give up unborn children, they will either give up young men and women in public schools who they're allowing to be indoctrinated into the religion of body self-dualism and transgenderism so that they can remain relevant and have a cush lifestyle, or they're giving up their own children so that they can remain relevant. Exactly. Lot believed the truth, he spoke the truth, but he wasn't willing to stand for the truth. Lot was saved, but he wasn't salty, Reed. Mm-hmm. And so his wife becomes in death what he should have been in life, yeah. a pillar of salt. You can be saved, but not salty. You can make it into the kingdom just barely, but you didn't stand for anything yeah. 
that the Lord cared for. Yeah. And what does he care about most? Children. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would have been better for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean just to make them stumble, Reed? What about if you dismember the little ones? Mm -hmm. Do you think Christ would have some colorful language on that? Yeah, I think so. So I'm getting on a soapbox here, but my point is, and I think this is how we need to frame the conversation if we're talking to Christians, and you know, I know your listeners are Christians. Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith, Emmanuel Acho, Chad Veach, Carl Lentz, and many others, they're just the lot of our day. Yeah, I, that's beautifully put, man. And and here's the, the importance of recognizing that. Because, okay, so there'll be brothers and sisters in heaven one day, and they're righteous and all that stuff. And we're not maybe. Question, maybe, right? We don't know. We're, we're not questioning, per se, their salvation at this point in time. We're just simply saying this. There are certain issues where you cannot adopt the spirit of the age. Yeah. And abortion has to be one of those issues. Yeah, yeah. You have to be willing to have a biblical well, worldview. Well, abortion is Satan's pride and joy. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is costing the lives of real people. And furthermore, I'll throw in a biblical analogy, but I'll be quick about it too. Um, uh, has it, The other thing that's at stake here too is not just the children in the womb, but also the future children that already exist, but also the future children that will exist. Because right now we have a group of Hezekiah leaders who, when faced with imminent danger, say, well, at least it will not happen in my time. Mm, that's right. That's and they right, do yeah. not take the responsibility of making sure that the next generation's wars are less than than they could be because yeah, they that's right. abdicate the responsibility to the next that's generation. Right. Well said. Yeah. So Th- Thomas Paine once said, if trouble may come, let it come in my day yeah. so that my children may know peace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, um, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and so at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm looking at this conversation. I think it represents I, – I'll ask you about this because I'm really curious. I've thought about this often, and this is why we have to speak on this stuff. I keep on thinking that it represents a more – what we hear in this conversation with Emmanuel H. on these women represents a more faithful – um, presentation of what the vast majority, especially of younger Christians, believe. Is yeah. that fair to say? Because I know things are changing, and I think there's being uh, a bolder voice is no, raising no. up. No, Com- no. Complicated and nuanced are the words of, of, of this generation. Yeah. It's com- nuanced, complicated, you know, and and you hear the word nuanced a lot in this in this you know stupid conversation that they, they do. They said on, that on exactly, abortion. yeah. Because it makes people feel really smart. It makes them feel like they understand the complexity of ideas and people's situations and their stories and their struggles. And we want to be compassionate and identify. And Chelsea Smith in particular kept using that word compassionate, compassionate. Uh-huh. And when Emmanuel Acho, uh, to his credit, sort of tried to push back maybe a tiny, tiny bit and was like, Christians point to Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was woven together in the dark of the earth. Um, every day ordained for me, written in your book. And he says, Christians lean on that to make their case for pro-life. And he made it sound like that's our only verse. I could, I could give you five more. Uh, so I didn't think that was very, uh, you know, fair. But he, he does ask Chelsea Smith that, and Chelsea's response is essentially, well, you know, um, 
you know, God emphasizes compassion and love a lot more. And we need to put the emphasis where God puts it. That's just one verse uh, about that, about, you know, I don't know, babies and, so and, and, you know, how like Jesus entered human history in a uterus and like, so, you know, but oh yeah, whatever, uh, you know, so we're going to put the emphasis where Jesus puts it on compassion. Well, Henry Nouwen once beautifully said that compassion without confrontation fades quickly into fruitless sentimental commiseration mm-hmm. where you just end up feeling bad for people and walking by on the side of the road while they bleed out like the Levite and the priest yeah. in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's not compassion anymore, right? Uh, and so... Um, I, yeah, anyways, I lost my train of thought, but I, I think that, um, those conversations make people feel really smart, mm-hmm. um, but they're not, yeah. and, and, and they're accepting arguments and ideas that are the farthest thing from biblical, the farthest thing from Christian. And, and this shouldn't surprise us because I think at the end of the day, Reed, these people are more influenced by the secular liturgy yeah. than they ever were by their Bibles. Yeah. Let me give you kind of a, an analogy of this that I think about very often, and it'll take us off of abortion for a second. But um, this is why we cannot make the argument like we're not political, we're Christians, and we're just going to preach the gospel. It's because so much of what is going on politically mirrors what is going on in the church. And one of the things that's going on in the church, which you just identified, is this resurgence of the word empathy, which is a way of hijacking a Christian idea, grace and benevolence and tr- like true love, yeah. hijacking that and um, and totally perverting it. What the devil is so good at, right? We evangelical church for far too long has thought that sin is sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? And rather than a perversion of the truth. Right. And so now we're hearing that it is empathetic to use the pronouns of a person <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that are preferred, even if they're totally outlandish and don't have any existence in biological reality, that that you are empathetic, you are compassionate, and you are a Christian who is showing love and grace if you use someone's preferred pronouns. Well, only at the expense of truth, right? Yeah, yeah. So when did it become from a Christian perspective especially, but just a logical perspective, when did it become loving to lie to people? And it's a total perversion of the idea of what love really looks like, but this is what we're hearing so very often, and it is infiltrating into the church. And so now we have this understanding of like allyship and empathy, and I'm gonna be a good listener. Um, And in these women, even in this conversation, I thought it was so funny, they're like, yeah, I think men should speak up. If they agree with if us. If they agree with and us. And then yeah, they should yeah. shut up. Yeah. Emmanuel um, Acho said in the video, he said, as the resident ignorant male. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you sound like. <laughs> well, he's right about that. You but... <laughs> sound like such a, just a man without a chest, dude. Yeah. Like, what? Who I cut your CS balls list. off, man? Like, come on, dude. You know, we're only in this position because of, of that type of attitude from men. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I don't really know. I'm a stupid idiot. Oh, what do you, I don't know. Do what you want, woman. Right? Or, or hey, whatever you choose, I'll stand by you. Yeah. That's not a, that's not being a man. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when it's your or own. Or benevolent. It's, it's your own child, you know. Uh, and so, but you're, you, you actually hit on something very important, Reed, and that is... Um, the redefinition of language, the redefinition of terms, political correctness. We need to say today, and we need to say this very clearly, political correctness just means lies. Mm -hmm. Today, political correctness just means lie. Tell a lie. Say it over and over again because it makes me feel more comfortable. I'm a man, but call me a woman because it makes me feel better. Uh, Theodore Dalrymple, this... uh, uh, it's his pen name, um, this British uh, prison physician. And um, 
psychologist, fascinating guy, wrote a book called Life at the Bottom, The Worldview of the Underclass. And, uh, and he makes a point about political correctness that is, is fascinating. And he talks, he says, political correctness is just communist propaganda writ small. Hmm. Political correctness is just communist propaganda writ small. Yep. In my study of communist societies, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, but to humiliate. Yeah. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. He says, when people are forced to remain silent, when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they're forced to repeat those lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity, which means integrity. They lose their sense of integrity, mm. right, for yeah. saying those lies over and over again. To assent to obvious lies in some small way makes one evil oneself. Yeah. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. Wow. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to... Political correctness is just communist propaganda writ small. That's what the left has been doing. That's the war they've been waging for decades, is to force people to remain silent when they're being told... Two and two equals five. Mm -hmm. Oceania's always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> Repeat the lie or stay silent while we do. Yep. And when people go along with that, they decay inside. Mm -hmm. And a society that allows lies or becomes liars themselves won't stand against much anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I was having this conversation. And if we can't say the truth on abortion, on life itself, yes, what else can we stand against? And the answer, of course, Reed, is nothing. Yeah, which is why abortion is the centerpiece. It's the cornerstone of secular progressivism. Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife is such a sweet, sweet woman. Um, and so we were having this conversation. What is a woman, though? <laughs> An adult female. Um, uh, so, uh, so we were having this conversation last night and she's like, um, just to be totally honest, she was just like, sometimes I, um, get exasperated with just identifying that which exists. And I almost kind of get that. It's like constantly like the mill of just like outrage and clickbait and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he, but here is why I want to stand on that position that we need to point out that which exists and we need to do it over and over and over again until right. Christians finally wake up. Yeah. Because right now in our very midst, whether we recognize it or not, you're that quote that you just gave. It's beautiful because I believe it's a indicative of what's happening, not only with political correctness, but our culture at large is that we are we are totally forgetting that truth even exists and is right. important. Right. We're slowly but surely inserting things like my truth and your truth and 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 not realizing. Or we're just pilot, right? What is truth? Yeah, yeah. And who, it, who can know? It doesn't even exist. Hey, speak your truth. Speak your truth, Reed. Um, and, then I'll, and then I'll speak my truth, right? Yeah. It's like there's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There's the truth yeah. and your opinion. And our Savior said, I am the way, the truth and the life and he chooses to enter human history in a uterus yeah. so if, if you if you say that the bible is not pro-life or eh, he, god didn't really take a position on abortion in scripture really really 
Yeah. He, he, he chooses to identify with you at your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. Yeah. I, I maybe want to see what you think about this because uh, it, it bring. I want to move away from that conversation and actually get to speaking about the truth because I want to do what they were not willing to do in the conversation, which is to actually have a pro-life conversation because theirs is just totally pro-abortion. Even people in the comments section just yeah. said like, this would be like, I'm pro-choice, but it would be nice to actually hear a pro-life opinion on this thing <laughs> since you said it's pro-life, pro-choice people yeah. having an uncomfortable yeah, conversation, yeah, which yeah, it isn't. Yeah, not at all, yeah. And it's just, it's a huge echo chamber where these guys can't even see themselves is actually what it is. Yeah. But um, but, but I just had this thought about this thing because I thought it was so fascinating, this conversation, um, for all the wrong reasons, I suppose, but the clickbaiting of the Christian church. So um, where we say things that we think will gain people's favor and attention, like we do online, we get people to click something because it, it appeals to them but we malign the truth in the process. And I'm just wondering like, boy, this is happening. This is like this study in perhaps how technology blurs the lines between reality. And 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 I think this is happening more and more in the Christian churches that we are falling for clickbait. Uh, we are falling for clickbait when it comes to abortion. We are calling falling for clickbait when it comes to transgenderism and the LGBTQIA plus ad infinitum community. We're falling for this clickbait rather than reclaiming the radical nature of the message of Jesus, which is... Yeah, we're loving radically, but we are truthful radically. Yep. And we refuse to fall for the spirit of the age and just merely clamor yeah. like the dorky kid well, at the party and, for and, social and acceptance. Of, but what technology does, right, is, is it makes it makes um, progressivism seem like it's perpetual. Yeah. Like it's just going to be perpetuating into, we'll into more, eternity. More, more, more progressive, yeah. uh, and, and it also makes it seem like that this is where the culture's at and you know that's what kind of technology does uh, but that's not the reality and that's why i'm so grateful for people like will witt and benny johnson and others who do these man on the street things and mm -hmm. they just go to chinatown or they go to you know will witt dressed in a this like total cultural appropriation chinese outfit which is just <laughs> hilarious yeah. and he's like does this offend you and they all freaking love it then he goes to ucla and and he's My getting God. he's getting the middle finger all these white liberals offended on behalf of Chinese people who say, that's a beautiful outfit, you look really cool. It's so, it's just so, and then he did the same thing with a Mexican outfit and a mustache looking like a, like, you know, the most, you know, culturally appropriated Mexican you could think yeah, of. And then he goes to some Hispanic town and they like, you look awesome, I love your sombrero. And then he goes to a university and all the white liberals are triggered. I mean, so the, the point, the point is this, so the, the people, the, the general people that actually live in America, are actually not on board with much of what we call liberalism today. Mm -hmm. But the mainstream media and technology makes it sound like, and the Hollywood yeah. class and the and everything makes it sound like that this is where the country's at. Right. Uh, and it just is not true. Right. And so it's really important to, um, I think, elevate and uh, talk to people um, who don't have a platform, who don't, who aren't creating content to get likes. <laughs> who don't have a TikTok or a, a podcast that they're trying to grow so that they can have sponsors and get rich yep. or, or become an influencer on Instagram. Just normal people who work hard to provide for their families. They may not be as pro-life as me, Reed, but they're not on board with the Democrat Party's platform on abortion. Mm -hmm. They're not on board with transgenderism. Yeah. They're not on board with any of this stuff. But you're not going to hear those voices from the mainstream media. And so it actually encourages me because it tells me there's a lot more people who are on our side than we think. 
point. There's an audience, And we yeah. need to wake them up, and they need to understand the threat of what is liberalism mm-hmm. or progressivism today. The only threat to freedom and liberty in America is not coming from the right. It's coming from the left. And if you, if you don't see that now— I've got nothing else for you. If you're still asleep at this point and you think it's, oh, uh, read it's the January 6th. It's the Christian <laughs> white nationalists. Yeah. And like, if you still think that that's the threat to American sovereignty and liberty, I, I got nothing for you. Yeah. Over, over 80 pro-life uh, uh, organizations were burned, physically defaced or attacked since the leaking of the Roe v. Wade decision. Yeah. When's the last time pro-lifers or Christians attacked a secular progressive organization or a liberal organization physically? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while and probably I I would say never because <laughs> the guys who are bombing uh, abortion clinics that clearly aren't Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um yeah, I guess to wrap up that kind of part, I just the whole time I was listening, I just was Say saying where are the actual pro life voices? And I was saying okay, uh, especially with one of the girls who was in some medical field. Um, I just wanted yeah. To so say- that was the lie from that video, right? So let's talk about that really briefly. Okay. You wanted the pro life voice. I'll do. I'll, I'll let's do that now. Um, we've been talking thirty thousand foot yeah. uh, ideal ideologies. Let's let's get more in the weeds. <clears throat> this woman said in the video, she said I had to have an abortion because I had an ectopic pregnancy. And an ectopic pregnancy is when um, uh, implantation occurs in the fallopian tube rather than the uterus. So as that baby begins to grow in the fallopian tube, it expands the fallopian tube, and left untreated, the fallopian tube bursts and mom and baby die. Mom bleeds out internally. We don't have the medical technology yet to remove baby and re-implant the baby in in the uterine wall. And so this is one of the only circumstances where um, allowing the pregnancy to continue will definitely kill mom. Usually we can save the life of both mother and child in virtually any other circumstance. Beautiful, wonderful. Mm -hmm. But even if you can't, an ectopic pregnancy is one of those examples. It's not an abortion. An abortion is the killing of a live child, Reed. An abortion kills a baby that's already alive. That's what makes it an abortion. Okay. So if you have a miscarriage and you're removing the baby, it's not an abortion. If you have to remove the baby in the fallopian tube to save mom's life, that's also not an abortion because abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being in their mother's womb. A salpingectomy or a salpingostomy, the two different surgical procedures you would do to either create a small incision in the fallopian tube and remove the baby or remove the entire fallopian tube, leaving her with one. That's not an abortion, and it has a different surgical procedural name because it's not an abortion. So what is the intent in a in delivering a baby early or removing the baby from the fallopian tube in, in, a, in a life-threatening pregnancy? What is the intent, Read To save the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. So the death of the baby is a foreseen but unintended consequence. And they're making it sound like in this video, because they're lying to the culture and to the church, they're making it sound like women like her are not going to be able to get miscarriage treatments yeah. and they're not going to be able to have their baby removed from the fallopian tube if they have an ectopic pregnancy and they're going to freaking die. That's what they say in this thing, Reed. I, the lies, I just could not believe them. And this woman's, uh, uh, let's see, her name was uh, MJ Acostro Ruiz. And, uh, and, uh, was that was that the one? No, Doctor Yenny Abraham in this yeah, video was the right. one, and she said she basically said I needed the abortion for the ectopic pregnancy. And Emmanuel says, "Would you say that that abortion saved your life?" 
Yeah. And she says, absolutely. And then he says, do you feel more women's lives will be jeopardized by the Supreme Court hearing? And she said, 100%. She said, women are already delaying these life-saving surgeries just out of fear. To which I would say, <laughs> and who is responsible for them delaying these life-saving surgeries out of fear? By the way, they're irrational, fantasy-based fears. Who's responsible for that? You, the people in this video telling women lies. And I'll prove it to you right now, Reed. Pre-1973, before we had Roe versus Wade, when states could make their own abortion laws, in states where abortion was illegal, read, illegal, women were still having babies removed from the fallopian tube to save their life in an ectopic pregnancy. Yep. We couldn't do it as well or as efficiently as today, but we were still doing it then. So question, Emmanuel Acho. If, if we were removing babies from the fallopian tube in an ectopic pregnancy to save mom's life pre-Roe versus Wade in states where abortion was illegal, why were we able to do it then? Yeah. But not now. Because it's a lie. By the way, Planned Parenthood, two days ago, three days ago, Reed, what's today? Today is Saturday, yeah, July 23rd. Two days ago, Planned Parenthood removed from their website, bro, their acknowledgement in written form on their freaking website that – Treating ectopic pregnancies is not the same treatment as abortion. Mm. They said that on their website for years, Reed. They just scratched it from the website. And thanks to Live Action, who covers this stuff and found that out, they just removed it. So the question becomes, why did they remove it? Yeah. Because they want people to live in fear and they want them to believe that pro-lifers are unnecessarily murdering pregnant women yeah. who won't have ectopic pregnancy treatments because technically that's just an abortion. No, it's not. And so they want to use this as a political cudgel to hit pro-lifers over the head and to gird up support for pro-abortion laws when they acknowledge for decades that the treatments are different. Yeah. So therefore, when abortion is made illegal, you'll still have that ectopic pregnancy treatment. These are some of the lies they're saying in this video. It's so irresponsible. So they're either is more ignorant than I could possibly imagine. They're literally that stupid, Reed. But she's a doctor like Jill Biden. Right. So, yeah, exactly. They're literally, they're either that stupid, which is hard to believe that you're that stupid, but I guess it's possible. Or two, you're just vindictive. You're just the enemy. You know what you're saying yeah. are lies, but you understand I want to that, believe that by ignorant. saying those lies, yeah. you can gird up support for the pro-abortion cause. I think this is important because I, I want to believe that they're ignorant. I want to believe in the better nature of some people, which I know... Sometimes doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, I want to believe that they just don't know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. But this is what we're hearing constantly. And and I talk to myself, too, when I'm listening to these things. And my kids are like, who are you talking to? But I'm, but I'm yelling at the radio and thinking to myself, okay, then let's have the conversation. Let's say we're only willing to have abortions in case of the life of the mother. Let's, let's go ahead and just say that. Even though I don't believe you have to say that because yeah, of yeah. what you just illustrated. I was just waiting for that pro-life voice to actually show up in that video somewhere and say, okay, fine. Then let's only allow for abortions federally. Let's yeah, yeah, let's yeah. put a federal mandate out there that says no abortions whatsoever, except in the case of the life of the mother. And of course, they're not going to say yes to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's some questions I would have asked them, Reed. Yeah. Um, hey, um, would you support giving unborn children anesthesia before abortion to ease the pain of dismemberment? Yeah. Like let let let's put let's put some reality to the horrific act that you support because how because the questions like this. It traps them, not because I'm trying to be all sneaky, but because uh, truth, mm -hmm. you, truth is slapping you in the face right now. So if they say, if a pro-choicer says, and these are great questions for your listeners to ask pro-choicers, yeah, would you support giving anesthesia to unborn children before abortion to ease the pain of dismemberment? If they say no, they sound wicked and evil. Yeah, barbaric. No, you want them. 
you want them to feel the pain of dismemberment. You know, you you got like woke atheistic leftist progressives who who are rending their garments every time I have a hamburger, right? Because they're saying that it's pain, pain, yeah. pain is universal. You're hurting the cows, like. Okay, you want to talk about pain? How about how about a baby? How about a human being? Yeah. And then if they say yes, they also sound barbaric because then you're saying I'm okay with killing babies in the womb just so long as they can't feel it. Yeah, it's an implicit acknowledgement <laughs> of life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well said. It's implicit acknowledgement of life. Here's another one. Hey, you remember? Um, this is what I would love to have asked uh, Emmanuel Acho. Uh, you remember the drug thalidomide, Emmanuel? Uh, thalidomide. It's that uh, you know that drug that women were taking a few decades ago um, for pregnancy nausea. Oh, and just like thousands of babies were born without arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember thalidomide? Yeah. And so you say, hey, let's say let's say a pregnant woman has tried every other form of anti-nausea medication and it's just not working. Right. Some women have hyperemesis something. I forget the long term, but it's like literally throwing up everything. They have to be on fluid, sometimes on bed rest. Yeah. So let's say that she wants to try thalidomide to deal with her nausea, but her physician won't give it to her because of its past history. She finds some anyways. She takes it. A few months later, her, bo- her baby's born without arms or legs. Did she do anything wrong? Hmm. Emmanuel, did she do anything wrong? Most pro-choicers respond to that question, read, yeah. and they say yes. Yeah. Why? How could you possibly say she did something wrong? The fetus has no right to her body anyways. Mm-hmm. Her body, her choice. And they say, well, no, that's, that's effed up. That's wrong. Why? If she can kill the baby, and you support that, certainly it's a lesser evil to harm the baby. <laughs> it's a lesser evil to harm a baby and let them live than to kill them. Yeah. But you support killing them. You support her ch- legal choice to kill that baby. Therefore, you have no moral basis or moral platform to stand on to condemn her for harming the baby. 100%. And these are the kind of questions that create cogn- cognitive dissonance. Yeah. But, you know, he's not interested in that kind of uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Um, and oh, so, so let's have one more uncomfortable conversation because this is, I really hope somehow that based upon that ignorance that exists, people will eventually acknowledge it and change. So um, so one of the, the most compelling arguments the left is bringing out now, even at the expense of their radical immigration agenda, is this 10-year-old pregnancy that yeah, took right. place in Ohio where this girl was not allowed to have an abortion in Ohio, so she had to flee to Indiana. I know, I know you're familiar with this story. So this is being trotted out there as, again, one of those fringe cases that the left loves to use to try to prove their case because they can't actually talk about what's really happening mainstream on a regular basis with abortion. So they want to trot out a 10-year-old girl who was molested uh, by an adult man uh, who was an illegal immigrant um, and and bring her out here uh, because she was pregnant and had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. And if you pro-lifers have your way, this 10-year-old's going to be a mother, yeah, you yeah. barbaric sons of guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so let's just respond to that. Um, and, and let's put some clarity to these fringe cases that the left tries to use. Yeah, I mean, so firstly, the the likelihood of a ten year old getting pregnant is is super rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, the likelihood of that happening is very small. Um, even if a ten year old was being sexually abused and raped all day, the likelihood of her getting pregnant would be very low. Yeah. Uh, now, some there are historical examples of ten and eleven year olds getting pregnant, but usually, you're talking, you know, a first menstrual cycle at twelve, 
um, maybe 11, 10, 10. That's man, that's super early. That's super early. And and by the way, most most women can't get pregnant like the week after their first menstrual cycle. It doesn't quite work like that. So that firstly, the likelihood of this is so narrow. And then the likelihood of it, what, happening right after Roe v. Wade gets overturned? Oh, how convenient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, the likelihood of it happening, what, like on I, – I guess allegedly she had been being abused for a little bit of time. So I don't know how many you know alleged acts of rapes would have been involved. But the, my point is that, it, that would have been very rare. So, But let's say that it did happen, mm-hmm. right? Even, even in the most horrific of circumstances – the pro-life answer and this this you know causes woke progressive christians to lose their minds because they don't really actually understand what compassion is it's not compassionate to kill a child for the crimes of their father Mm -hmm. that's not compassionate and uh killing that baby an abortion is not going to unrape the woman it's just going to commit another act of violence to allegedly solve the initial act of violence abortion is wrong for the same reason that rape is wrong Rape is wrong because it intentionally abuses, it intentionally involves violence against an innocent human being without any form of justification. Mm-hmm. Um, abortion is wrong because it's an intentional act of violence against an innocent human being without proper justification. They're wrong for the same reasons. Um, and uh, But this case is, is interesting because the, the young girl's mother has come out and said that all of this is a lie mm-hmm. and her daughter's totally fine. Now, I don't know the you know what necessarily happened. I don't know if she's saying that just to avoid being in the mainstream media, avoid the news. Maybe her daughter was abused, maybe not. I just know the mother's saying that this is all crap and, and none of this ever happened yeah. and her daughter's perfectly fine. You so, know, it's interesting. I but you won't hear the mainstream media run with that, yeah. just with the alleged case, you know. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to make it sound like that this is going to become the norm. Well, how about this? How about this? How about we castrate rapists? How about we pass a law to, to castrate rapists and or life in prison? Now you're running afoul of leftism. Now, see, what would that do? That, that's a, Well, that's called an incentive or a de-incentive read, something that the left does not understand. Most progressive Christians don't understand this idea when you, you start talking about public policy and lawmaking. If we said we're going to cut your balls off, and throw you in prison for life if you rape a woman. Do you think we'd have more or less rape? rape? I'm pretty sure we'd have less. I mean, it's it's just we have fallen so far <laughs> from our our founders' understanding of statecraft that it's it's just embarrassing. But and, I have to say we, that's we under- not that's not really a pro life stance though when you cut off somebody's balls. But um, I think I would say to that, I think we're okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> With yeah. those kind of people, not yeah. I mean, people people understand these ideas when it comes to parenting incentives yeah. and de incentives. But then when it comes to policymaking, everyone loses their freaking mind and says that that's not right. It's the same thing with the with the whole you know gun you know yeah, school shootings, right? If the left and progressive Christians are honest, they would have to say. That if an alleged school shooter knew that the school he was going to go into had armed teachers, but it was all concealed carry and he wouldn't know who was carrying and who wasn't. Or do you think he's more likely to go to the school where he knows they don't allow any guns? Mm -hmm. Now, hey, leftist, which school do you think he's more likely to shoot up? Come on. Anyone with two brain cells left to rub together would say he would choose to shoot up the school where he knows no one is armed. It's the same thing because law functions as a teacher. Law provides incentives and de-incentives to incentivize the good and de-incentivize the bad. Mm-hmm. So if, if I want to pass a law that says let's cut the balls off of rapists and throw them in prison for life, how about that? Yeah. How about how about 
that's compassionate because compassion also involves justice. And I want justice for the victims of rape by punishing their rapist. Killing their baby is not loving. Um, and we would never allow the mother to murder the rapist outside of the law. So if the mother can't murder the rapist who is guilty, why should she be allowed to kill her unborn child who is just as innocent as she is? 100%. So that's sort of the answer to the whole rape objection because we don't believe that your value comes from the circumstances of your conception. Yeah. It comes from the fact that you're still a human being. Yep. But this whole story, I believe, is just the, the left is just using this fringe case, which may not even be true, mm-hmm. to simply score political points and, once again, garner up more support for pro-abortion laws. Um, so that pro-lifers look like we hate women. Yeah, which is more a political tactic than it is anything. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. a concern for women. It's a political tactic to gain <clears throat> points because they suck basically at everything, so they got to find Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same thing that uh, Joe Biden and the, the mainstream media have been saying. Uh, Joe Biden said, like, right after Roe v. Wade got overturned, uh, he said, uh, you know, my officials and administration and the health department are telling me that uh, women's maternal mortality rates are going to skyrocket now that Roe v. Wade's getting overturned. So he's saying more pregnant women are going to die from pregnancy-related issues because they can't get abortions. Yeah. But the only way you can make that claim, read is to, is to have already assumed that pregnancy is more dangerous than abortion or that abortion is safer than childbirth. Yeah. You have to – I have already made that assumption, yep. right? Do you see? Because otherwise, if, if abortion was more dangerous than childbirth or childbirth was safer – than abortion, then there would be no case in which pregnant women would die unnecessarily without having access to abortion because delivering the baby early or inducing early labor would always be safer than an abortion. So you have to have already assumed that ab- that abortion is safer than childbirth. Yeah. And the left has been saying this for decades. This happens You'll a lot, hear yeah. this repeated a lot. They'll say there's this one study they point to read and they say, actually, this study found that abortion is 14 times safer than childbirth. This this is one study that they have. That's the only one read. I've done my research. There's literally only one study. 14 times they say, 14 times safer than childbirth? How stupid do you think I am? You're telling me childbirth is 14 times more dangerous for the mother than an abortion. You're telling me inducing early labor with Pitocin or a cesarean section is more dangerous than forcibly dilating her cervix and shoving forceps up her birth canal while trying to not rip through the uterine lining, which is like wet tissue. You're telling me that, that that's safer than childbirth. How far up your own rectum is your head? Like that's like, but but they've been saying this for years, Reed, yeah. right? Um, and so by the and by the way, the the reason that you know those statistics are, are false. One, no other study has been able to reproduce the results that that study found. And the second reason is that they treat abortion mortality statistics and maternal mortality statistics as equivalent, mm-hmm. but they're not. Thirdly, there's a big statistical black hole when it comes to abortion because states are not required to report their abortion data. Uh, and then when you look at studies like places in Finland where they have social medicine, right? So they, they have control over all the data at the government level. It's very interesting. You then find that actually ab- uh, abortion is four times more dangerous than childbirth yeah. for the mother. Uh, and there's been other um, data sets that have disproven that that one uh, fringe study that they claim. But anyone with a, you know, with any sense of common, any, any uh, semblance of common sense left would have to say that that's obviously not the case. But they're saying these lies publicly from the White House yeah. and from woke Christians who repeat it, who have no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's not compassionate. That's not loving. Um, but at the end of the day, Reed, ultimately, 
this is what we believe. And this is not necessarily even a Christian belief, yeah. although it's supported by a biblical worldview. So good, Every man. human being begins at the moment of conception, and the left knows this too. I made this point last night at a, a, spe- a speech I gave. They know they're killing babies, Reed. They know they're killing babies, and they know they're human beings. The only question, Christian, is do you? Yeah. Do you know that? Um, uh, Dr. Warren Hearn, he's an abortionist. He wrote an abortion textbook called Abortion Practice, Teaching People How to Kill Babies. And he says, we have reached a point in this particular technology where there is no possibility of denying an act of destruction by the operator. Yeah. It is before one's eyes. The sensations of dismemberment flow through my forceps like an electric current. Naomi Wolf, longtime big feminist and a defender of abortion, she said, clinging to a rhetoric about abortion in which there is no life and no death, we entangle our beliefs in a series of self-delusions, fibs, and evasions, and we risk becoming precisely what pro-lifers charge us with being, callous, selfish, and casually destructive men and women who share a cheapened view of human life. So we need to contextualize the fight to defend abortion within a moral framework that admits that the death of the baby is a real death. Um, Camille Paglia, a professor of arts at University of uh, professor of arts at the University of, of Philadelphia, um, wrote a, a piece in Salon.com in 2008 where she said, "Hence, I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder, the extermination of the powerless by the powerful. Liberals, for the most part, have shrunk from facing the ethical consequences of their embrace of abortion, which results in the annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue." Uh, Alan Guttmacher, the president of Planned Parenthood in the 70s, wrote a book called life in the making and on page three read regarding whether people knew when human life begins read he says this all seems so simple and evident that it's hard to picture a time when it wasn't part of the common knowledge faye waddleton president of planned parenthood in 1997 told miss magazine in an interview she said i think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing so any pretense that abortion is not killing is a signal of our ambivalence a signal that we cannot say yes it kills a fetus california medicine 1971 a pro-abortion medical journal pro-abortion medical journal in 71 before roe versus wade read said that everyone really knows when human life begins it begins at the moment of conception it was a powerful admission about what we've always known to be true and here's what they actually said they said um uh They said, since the old ethic has not yet been fully displaced, that Judeo-Christian ethic, Mm -hmm. uh, it has been necessary to separate the idea of abortion from the idea of killing, which continues to be socially abhorrent. And then here's what they said. The result of this has been a curious avoidance of the science, (laughs) which everyone really knows, which everyone really knows that human life begins at conception yeah. and is continuous, whether mm-hmm. intra or extra uterine until death. You had pro-abortion so medical journals admitting that in 1971, read, mm-hmm. 1971. They all know they're killing babies. They all know they're human beings. Do you, church? Come on. Do you? And then I'll finish with this. Peter Singer. Heard that name before? The kooky uh, pr- Princeton uh, professor um, who defends infanticide. The murder of babies read up to one years old. And here's why he does. Because he's honest enough, Reed, to admit what pro-life, woke, squishy Christians won't. That there's no morally significant difference between the child in the womb and the child outside the womb. Mm -hmm. Peter Singer, the darling of leftist philosophy, 
one of the greatest philosophical defenders of abortion today. Here's what he said. He said, the liberal search for a morally crucial dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus. Listen to this. The liberal search for a morally crucial dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus has failed to yield any event or stage of development which can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life from those who lack such a right. Yeah. In other words, what Peter Singer is saying, Reed, is that if we're honest, we as liberals haven't been able to find a line that's morally significant yeah. between the baby in the womb and the baby outside the womb. He's one of the greatest defenders of abortion today. He crafts most of the high-level academic arguments to defend abortion, Reed. And he's saying, if we're going to support abortion, we also have to support infanticide. Yeah. Because why? It's the same child. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that is so good, and you got to go. But I think that that's a beautiful place to end because so much of the conversation, and hopefully we illustrated that throughout what we talked about today, um, that this is the problem, that so much of the conversation lacks a basic fact that changes everything. If what's inside of you is a life, then so many of the platitudes and the things that we're saying and the arguments that people are making for choice or for abortion are completely and totally barbaric. And so if we're willing to finally adopt the presupposition that what's inside of your womb is a life, which most people generally know, but they conveniently try to disregard because of all of the ways that the left has been so good at politicizing and rhetoricizing this issue, if that's a word. Um, so So we have to go back to this understanding and just say, hey, if this is a life, changes the conversation and let's have a conversation yeah, about that yeah and let's finish with this these people read are pursuing comfort and not truth yeah. if you're a christian who's still voting for democrats today or if you're a progressive christian or whatever it is you are just pursuing comfort rather than truth to which c.s lewis would say if you look for truth you may find comfort in the end yeah if you look for comfort you will find neither comfort nor truth only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin and in the end despair Beautiful. All right. So people need to follow you and need to catch up with what you're doing. They need to support what you're doing so they can go to SethGruber.com. Where else? Or the new organization I've just launched called The White Rose Resistance. And the uh, the URL is TheWhiteRose.life, TheWhiteRose.life. And I'm building The White Rose Resistance for this generation to prick the collective conscience of the culture and awaken the church before it's too late. Come on. Let's go, man. Uh, thank you so much for everything you're doing to protect life and to actually stand up and be a hero in this issue. And even though you're a man, uh, still talking about this. Well, it's uh, a dangerous thing to assume in the age of Bruce Jenner, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to take dangerous positions. It's all good. Uh, thank you so much, brother. Love you. I'm going to put all of that information down in the description of uh, this episode so that people can access that and, and follow you and, and stay up to date with what you're doing. So thank awesome. you, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Reed. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.